Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Hello, and welcome back to another episode. This episode, we're going to be covering the topic of cybersecurity and things that we can do to make ourselves safer and more secure while we're connected. You know, we live in a connected world today. Uh, Everything from our computers, networks, our smartphones, you name it. And technology has permeated everything we do, and it's made a lot of things more convenient. I mean, just look at the smartphone, right? But with that convenience and with that technology and with that connectivity, there comes an added risk of security and in some cases our personal safety. And so it's incumbent upon us to take the responsibility and initiative to ensure that we're as safe as we possibly can be when we are using those devices and we are online and connected. So I thought I would spend an episode talking about cybersecurity and things that we can do to make ourselves more secure. I don't think anything in here is going to be anything new, but hopefully it'll serve as a go-to place perhaps for you to reference some things you haven't thought about in a while or things you haven't considered doing before now. You know, hackers are successful because they're still able to do things they do and people fall for it or people get trapped or people aren't paying attention as they should. So things that have been talked about for a while and that we should all know, we still need to be reminded about and, and still consider because they're, they still go on. It's still happening out there and people are still falling for it. And I'll give you a perfect example of that before we get into this episode more, more deeply. Back in the mid late 90s, I guess probably the 96, 97 time frame, I can remember the first time I got a email, an email from Nigeria. And specifically now, I think they refer to these things as the Nigerian email or letter scam. But basically, it was an email that got sent to individuals. Uh, It seemed at the time that it was targeting businesses of various sizes, but I guess anyone could have been on the receiving end of one. But these emails apparently were coming from some prince in Nigeria, and it went some variation hereof where they would say they would introduce themselves And then they would give you some sub story about how they were having difficulty with transferring some funds that they had. And they offered, they came to you with their story and they said something to the effect of, well, you know, I need to, I've got this $14 million or whatever amount it was. I'm sure it didn't matter. And if you let me put this into your bank account as a safekeeping place for short term, when I extract the funds, I will leave you $4 million or whatever it is. And evidently this worked. Um, and so the, the scam was, you know, you would grant them access, transactional access to your bank accounts. And then when they would go to take, you know, get that access, they'd clean your funds out. And so that was the earliest form of scamming, online scamming that I can remember. And we used to get this little uh, sales company I worked for back in the day. We used to get so many that I finally uh, called the FBI to have them investigated. And um, as it turns out, the FBI at the time seemed very laid back and nonchalant about it. And I got it right. 
it was because a the scammers were working and operating from the other side of the world obviously and this agent special agent that i talked to um just indicated that hey you know it's very tough to track these people down a because they are on the other side of the world and b usually by the time we get to them or find out where they were at the time that they sent those emails or whatever they were long since gone right so uh, even for them, it was hard to track and catch up with these guys. And I have no idea what their success rate is for tracking down some of these hackers and scammers. But nonetheless, that was my earliest memories of such a thing. And interestingly enough, these letters and emails where where it seems like they're fewer and fur- farther between, they still do happen. Um, I think just in the last I'll say 12 months, I've probably gotten no less than two. And while it's not the Nigerian prince, it's uh, I think the most recent one I got just within the last couple of months was some queen of some country or space province I'd never heard of before. And basically the scam remains the same. Hey, I've got this large sum of money, reel you in with that. And if you let me use your account, or however it's worded, I'll leave behind, you know, $2 million plus for you, whatever, whatever their story is. And as best I can tell, either the scammers haven't caught on yet, or people still fall for this stuff. So it's very legit. And again, it's our responsibility to take initiative to help make ourselves and our families more secure, especially when they're online. So I thought we would start by talking about some things we can do. And again, nothing really is new here, but I want to put it all in one place for you. And just starting with the smartphones, you know, smartphones have really infiltrated everything we do. Uh, They're so convenient. You know, they make us available at any given time, day or night. We've got all of our apps. We've got our social media. We can get to the news. We can read blogs. We can read books online we can do it all all from this little tiny device but with that device and with that convenience comes some potential vulnerabilities first of all we're all being tracked if you're online in any capacity whatsoever you can bet you're being tracked now do they know who it is all the time and what the personal information is behind what it is you do all the time not necessarily but The smartphone is convenient for us, but it's also convenient for the government and hackers and anything else because they have direct access to us at any given time. And with that convenience, what I'm trying to say is we're giving up a little privacy and a little security. One of the things that we can do, which has been talked about recently on other podcasts, is making sure our phones are tracking us as little as possible. And I, and I, I've come to learn that a lot of these phone companies or carriers track us by default, and then it's up to us to go in and find the switches to turn that tracking off. And so I'm not going to do a deep dive on how that gets done. Uh, You can look up uh, information about your phone specifically or your carrier specifically to see how you can do it. They generally all allow the consumers to turn those switches off but they're generally on by default depending on the carrier depending on the phone manufacturer they're likely to be on by default so i would encourage you to turn off those extra tracking uh items as you can 
Um, one of the other things that we need to be cognizant of when we're on our smartphones is how much time we spend on Wi-Fi and or on Bluetooth connectivity when we're out in public. These are potential security holes for these devices. And so while it's convenient to use Bluetooth and or um, Wi-Fi in public, I would recommend um, only using it when absolutely necessary because they can offer pathways for the bad guys to get into your device and if they get into your vice then potentially have access to all of your personal information all of your pictures all your contacts all your social media all your access to other things etc 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 so when you're in public use caution when using both bluetooth or wi-fi ideally you should not use free public Wi-Fi because there's all types of potential security holes and hackers waiting on you there. If you absolutely are insistent upon using public Wi-Fi for yourself, uh, then consider installing and running a VPN, a virtual private network on your machine, on your phone or on your tablet to make your uh, your uh, surfing as safe as possible but ideally don't use public free wi-fi and especially wi-fi that doesn't require passwords when we're at home we have uh, as many potential holes with our wi-fi um, you might be familiar with the term ssid it stands for service set identifier it's basically the name of your home network uh, whatever your provider is, when you're connected online, you generally have an SSID. If you want to think of the SSID in another way, it's basically your user ID, um, which is half of the credentials you need to get into your system, right? You typically need a user ID and password to log on to your computer, your network, your bank, other apps. Same holds true for your Wi-Fi at home. And by default, and it depends on your service provider, but by default, most, if not all of the time, that service ID is being broadcast. And what that means is that when you go to find your network, and if you have home networks, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you go to look up what networks are available in an area, usually the SSID is what, get brought, what gets broadcast, which makes it very easy and convenient for you to select your network to then connect to. And then usually, you know, and hopefully you're having to enter in a password. You definitely want to keep your network password protected. And while it's convenient to see the SSID being broadcast so you don't have to remember your SSID, it's potentially a security hole. And the reason is, is because you're giving away essentially half of the credentials that it takes to log into your network and get onto your Wi-Fi network. And that's not good. So depending on your carrier and how their routers and their uh, wireless APs are set up, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you want to take the initiative to get in there, log into the router. Usually there's a default IP, for example, that your service provider can get to you if you don't know it or don't have it offhand. And you want to turn off or disable SSID broadcast. Now, what does that mean? Well, if someone looks for available networks in the area that you're in or your neighborhood, for example, they won't see your network anymore. And so for you needing to reconnect a new device or connect a new device or reconnect an existing device, that means you've got to know what your SSID is in order to be able to enter it, right? So you give up a little bit of convenience for yourself 
but you're really making it that much more difficult for the bad guys to have access to your system and potentially log in. And the other thing that you want to do is look to change that default password. I don't know how the service providers come up with their passwords. They're usually a string of crazy characters and numbers and maybe, uh, you know, capital letters along the mix, you know, they do pretty good in creating strong passwords, but I would recommend changing that and then ensuring that you're using strong passwords that you don't share out with the world, right? Some basic standards. So when it comes to our home networks, turning off or disabling that SSID is really taking a major step to making your home network that much more secure. Now, we've talked about some of these uh, email scams and even letters uh, in some cases, but what's really going on out there in the hacking world and what are we seeing uh, happening on almost a daily basis, especially in the corporate world where it can be a, a really big issue, but even for us in our personal lives, right? So I want to throw out some terminology um, and then tell you how it all comes together and then give you some tips on how to avoid it. You know, we all think in terms of our businesses and ourselves, but the two larger are, you know, I don't want to say from a population size, actual size perspective, but just from a larger concern perspective, we have two groups of people that may or may not be so savvy that depend on us to help them. And that's kids who are very much connected these days and the aging population. Uh, most recently, I'll give you an example. Most recently, uh, my father contacted me. He's 80 now. And uh, he's pretty tech savvy for an 80 year old, I think, but he's not aware of everything. And he calls me a, a few weeks ago and tells me that he's gotten this email. And it looks legit. He had recently been online shopping for some new watches for himself. He wanted to treat himself to a nice watch upgrade, I guess. And this email had indicated that the uh, that he had made a purchase from the watch company that he had recently been surfing. And that PayPal had a charge of 900 and something dollars on it associated. And I forget what the ask of the email was. But my dad was concerned because he couldn't remember making the transaction, which could become a point of concern, but that's separate for now, right? You may not, if you're not remembering major purchases like that, there may be other things going on that need to be addressed by family. But in his case, he was concerned because he wasn't quite sure how he got this and what it came through and what it was. And I just said, dad, immediately delete it. I said, just delete it. I said, clearly it's a scam. And I said, there's ways that you could look to make sure or double check. But I said, if you're not familiar with yourself making this purchase or you're not or you're hearing from companies that you haven't interacted with directly and you don't remember making transactions or don't remember interacting directly with the entities that are mentioned in these emails, I said, just delete it. And I said, if you have any doubts, don't reference the contact information in that email. I said, just reach out to those companies directly and, and ask them if these things happened or if they're aware of them. And that'll tell you pretty much what you want to know. But the easiest thing is to delete it. And so he did. And, you know, I think my dad was really, a, really, I won't say upset, but he was concerned that it wasn't readily apparent to him that this may be something that was not legitimate. And a, and a scam. 
And so that's why I say for kids that may not be so tech savvy, and of course they are more tech savvy, more so than some of us adults, but they may not be aware of scams and how hackers operate, right? And same with the aging population like my father. So let's talk about some of the things that are going on and some of the terminology. So you may or may not have heard of phishing. It's uh, phishing, um, but with a PH. And basically, this is when hackers a try, like what happened to my father, to reach out to you through email and try to get, get take action, different sorts. Sometimes it looks like it's from legitimate businesses, and we'll talk more about this here in a minute. Sometimes these look like from legitimate businesses. Sometimes they're just directly from the hackers themselves demanding money or something from you, right? Of course, we've talked about the emails and letters. Another concept is smishing, which is just like phishing, but with an SM instead. And it's essentially the same thing, except when it's conducted through texts. And I don't know about you, but I've been getting a lot of unsolicited texts lately for the last couple of years, and they're mostly all politically motivated, it seems. And I can't say that I have picked up on any scams coming through these that I've received at least, but smishing does happen, um, and it is the equivalent of phishing but through text. There's also the notion of spoofing, which comes into play when hackers and those with malicious intent are trying to disguise or emulate or come off as representing an entity that they're not. And so spoofing takes place in the form of emails that kind of look like legitimate emails, but they're not. And again, we'll talk about more what to look for there. And they also will spoof the websites and the companies that they're trying to get you to believe that they represent, right? So that's the term spoofing. And between um, uh, one more con concept to talk about is vishing, which is uh, like fishing and smishing, but with a V. And it's, I don't know who comes up with all these crazy terms. It's not me. Um, but vishing is basically... Um, the same sorts of scams, but when they're done over the phone. And so I think we're all familiar with robocalls and how much we despise those. And my personal opinion about robocalls is if it is a robocall, it is a scam. So I simply don't deal with it. The moment that I, uh, the moment that I pick up that it's a robocall, uh, I, I delete it and uh, hang up or don't answer in the first place. So that's those three terms are important. Four terms are important. Phishing through emails, smishing through text, vishing through over the phone or VOIP, and spoofing. There's a concept that businesses work out, which can be a huge financial dis, uh, um, make a huge financial impact in a negative way for corporations, businesses, and that's BEC you may have heard of, which is business email compromise. And basically, it's a, a it's pretty much the same thing that we experience in phishing emails, etc. But business email compromise is basically made up of both phishing and spoofing to get an employee or someone inside the company to take action. And that might be something like uh, a hacker gets a hold of a CEO's email address and that hacker then tries to send emails into contacts inside the company, 
posing as that executive, as in this example, to tell them to transfer money immediately. And so this is a very real uh, threat for businesses today, too. So those are just some high-level concepts uh, I wanted to mention. Uh, You've probably also heard the terminology of malware. And basically, this is malicious software that gets installed or run when you fall victim to phishing or smishing or anything else. If you ever click on a, a link that you don't know what it is, or open an attachment to an email that you don't know who it's from or why you're getting it, there can be malicious software or malware put on your computer that can do all kinds of bad stuff. Tap into your personal information. Um, a, A type of malware you may have heard of is ransomware, and it is a specific type of malware where your computer, your smartphone maybe, your network, any number of devices, they may uh, blackmail you to pay them money or they're going to lock you out of your machine, your network, which for companies can be devastating, right? Um, where they basically uh, hold ransom your, your access to your, your computers and your networks. So those are some things we all need to be aware of and be on the lookout for. So what do you do? Well, let's just take the case of phishing emails because I th- you know, I don't know what the ratio is or the number, but I get the sense that there's a lot of phishing going on out there, especially in the business world, but also personally. I mean, as I as I mentioned, I just got hit up with another scam email just a few weeks ago from that very nice queen that wanted to give me lots of money. Um, but let's talk about this. So Phishing is really a combination of spoofing and then these hackers trying to get you to provide them with information. And so a phishing email has some telltale signs, Uh, whether it's a smishing text or a phishing email. uh, You want to look for things like and sometimes you can tell it right off the bat because the subject line is screwy. There'll be uh, no spaces between words where, you know, there should be. There'll be a very bizarre mixture of capital and lowercase letters being used. And so, you know, a a very uh, suspicious subject line is pretty easy to pick out. Plus, if it mentions or talks about something, assuming you can read it uh, with the spacing and capitalization being funky, um, you can usually tell if you read it and you don't recognize what in the world it could possibly be about. So that's sometimes a very good way of picking out uh, phishing emails. Another way might be looking more closely at the email. The email may not even look like it's from the company that the hackers, the scammers are trying to represent, right? Like it just may be some combination of characters after the at symbol, right? And it doesn't even look like, like the email says it's from Wells Fargo is just one example, but the email is like alphabet zoo 92.123.com or something like that. So sometimes the emails are just dead giveaways for bogus bogus inquiries and emails sometimes they're better done sometimes they'll be the word of the company like you know paypal.com we all know that one sometimes an email just using paypal as an example 
PayPal, it might look like a legitimate email. And when you look at the email address, it might be something at info at PayPal. But if you look closely, the A in PAL, I mean, the uh, L in PAL might be a capital I. And so some are much better at taking the time to be trickier about it, which means you've got to pay closer attention. So subject line and the from email are two things. Um, the next is what's actually in the email or in the text. And I think this holds true. This holds true for both emails and texts. If this email or text is talking about something that you don't recall offhand or can't remember or makes no sense at all, you've probably got a potential scam on your hands, right? So you can skim over the body of the email if you notice the email address, the from email address or the subject is wonky to begin with, I'd recommend just deleting it at that point because you you know more than likely what you're dealing with. But sometimes, you know, Outlook, for example, has a preview. So just selecting on the, the incoming email will show and provide the preview. Sometimes it's really easy. I saw a scam more recently. I actually got through Gmail. And I don't even remember the company that they were trying to disguise themselves out. But the body of the email was so bad that it looked like they had taken a screenshot from some other email, maybe the legit email to try to make one up themselves. And then they just it looked like it was just an embedded image as the body of the email. So that was a dead giveaway for me. So again, delete, but the messaging, right? If you don't recognize the company, especially if you've not done for business with them or you're not familiar with them at all, that's probably a pretty good sign. Uh, but if the message and what they're asking you for or talking to you about doesn't make sense or you don't remember, that's also a pretty good sign. So, Sometimes this is doing due diligence and looking at the details, and sometimes it's just this doesn't feel right, that gut, that intuition. And in these cases, you want to listen to that. It's important. Two things you want to remember at all costs when it comes to whether it's phishing emails or smishing text, and that is never click on any links contained within that text or in that email. Let me say that again. Never click on any links contained inside that email or in that text. Why? Because they can leave you to farming websites and farming websites are fake websites that are created and designed to look just like the real thing. And because they look like the real thing, you might have a tendency to enter in your, your credentials to access and gain access to your account. And when you do that, they capture that information and now they've got access to your account. Just as one example. Another example, as we mentioned earlier, in addition to the farming websites, the fake websites, is the malware. You can launch malicious software and applications to your device and not even be aware of it because it happens behind the scene and it happens when you click on those links. So again, just as a couple of examples, so again, never click on a link inside those emails or those texts. The other thing that you never want to do is open any attachment that comes in that you don't know. Why are they sending you this? What is it? Now, a lot of these hackers will play on your strings, your concern strings of being a good citizen or your, or your heart strings or whatever, and it'll be an invoice or it'll be a letter of some sort asking for help, whatever it is. 
Again, by now you probably are questioning this email or this text. Don't click on the links and do not open ever open any attachments because again, those attachments could could contain malicious software that gets initiated and triggered and maybe it locks you out of your computer from that point forward until you pay some sort of ransom, right? So all sorts of bad things can happen when you click on those links or attachments. So don't do it. <laughs> That's the simple. So there's some telltale signs. If the email looks wrong, it probably is a bogus bogus uh, attempt, a scam. If the subject line looks wonky, scrambled up, spacing between basic words are missing sloppy basically it's probably a scam if it's a topic if it's a company you don't recognize or you've not ever done business with and the letter is talking about the business you've conducted or your account needs updating it's probably bogus right it's probably bad if it talks about a transaction or something you're not familiar with or can't Remember, it's probably bogus. If ever it asks you for your credentials directly or your password, you can bet that's anybody that's asking you for your password, any shape, form, or fashion, over the phone, through text, through email, you might have a scam or a hacker on your hands. Don't do it. Don't give it out. So what do you do? Well, if you're in your company, you probably have protocols. Most IT security teams and service desk, help desk, whatever you refer to it as, they have protocols for how to handle those things. But for you, the principles apply. Don't click on links and don't open attachments you don't know. In the business world, another thing that you can look for that's probably a pretty good sign in those emails or texts or even phone calls is if they're asking you to break your company's protocols, processes, and procedures. And again, if they're asking for passwords, don't do it. If they're telling you that we've got to bypass the normal process and procedures because of time is of the urgency, don't do it. So again, there's probably some SOP, some standard operating procedures your company has in place for handling these emails. Um, they might ask you to forward them along. They might ask you to simply delete them. But whether you're in business or your personal life, the best policies is leave them alone, block them if you can, report them if you need to, and then simply delete them. So let's say you're, it's questionable, right? You're on the border. Is this real or not? The best thing you can do, because again, you don't want to click on the links or open the attachments. And yes, I'm saying that a lot because those two things are very important for you to remember. Is if you want to confirm because you're not sure or you're worried that something might be amiss, that you don't remember something and you want to get it squared away, contact the companies directly. And do not use any contact information, any phone numbers, any URLs or web addresses, any email addresses contained in the correspondence that you receive, because again, you're suspicious, right? The best course of, best course of action, if you're really concerned and you want to double check, don't use anything sent through the email or the text, simply go look up the company's information, get online, look up their website directly. Again, don't click on any links from the emails. If you've had business with them, you'll know where to go. Contact their customer service directly and ask them if the correspondence is legitimate or not. That's the simplest course of action you can take 
to avoid any sort of trouble for yourself. Because again, we're not only protecting our uh, access to our computers and our devices, which we need on a daily basis, we're protecting our finances, uh, bank accounts, our investment accounts. We're, pro we're protecting our applications to keep people from accessing things we don't want them to see. And we're protecting our PI or personal information. Now, not that long ago, it was called PII, personal identifiable information, but now they've shortened that up to PI or personal information. And that's name, address, phone numbers, social security, financials, uh, credit reports, things of that nature. That is your personal information. You want to protect that at all costs because you do not want to be financially devastated and you don't even want to have your theft stolen, uh, your identity uh, stolen because identity theft these days is real and it's very difficult to clean up and recover from. One of the other things that you can do if you feel you've been hacked, if you feel you've been spammed or not spammed, sorry, if you feel you've received a phishing or smishing text or email, the FBI has the Internet Crime Compliance Center or the IC3. So you can reach out to the FBI um, to report, to form a formal report to the FBI. Again, that's the Internet Crime Compliance Center, the IC3 as they call it. So at the end of the day, it is all about us taking the initiative and the responsibility to look out for ourselves and be alert and stay alert. We're in such a connected time and world with all of our devices we have, whether it's our laptops, our tablets, our smartphones, we have this responsibility to do extra due diligence to make sure we're not setting ourselves up. It's the same as locking your doors at night for those that do that, right? Um, you, you want to take the extra steps. Sure, it's a little extra time. Sure, it may not can be convenient all the time, but taking a few little easy extra steps means we're better protected, we're better secure, we're better safe, and that's what it's all about. When it comes to our kids and the aging population, you know, if you have parents that are aging like I do, if you have children, you know, they all have smartphones, it seems now. Talk to them, um, you know, talk to your aging uh, family members or friends. Um, let them know what they need to do to protect themselves. You don't have to do a technical deep dive. They won't understand or appreciate it anyway. Just make sure they're clear on what they should and should not do to handle those situations. And then if you need to, make yourself available to answer questions they have as it comes up. When it comes to kids, I, don't, uh, I won't pretend to sit here and tell you what to do, but just some tips with your kids. Let them know um, they too need to protect their uh, access credentials. They need to use strong passwords. They don't need to leave those passwords out in public. They don't need to share those passwords. Anytime that someone that they've never met or don't know before asks to meet them, they need to understand what to do in those cases. Anyone that's being solicited for sexual pictures or otherwise sexting, they should know what to do there. Uh, you need to look at their social media accounts to make sure the security uh, there is shut down and they don't have public accounts. They're not allowed to be searched. Strangers can't contact them. Strangers can't befriend them. Whatever it is, 
be proactive, get in there and protect your kids. Our kids today are more connected and more accessible than ever. This is just one more way. Again, it's like locking the doors and turning on the security system at night. This is all just one more or a few more things we've got to do to make sure the kids are safe. Uh, If you have more questions, the FBI has a great cybersecurity spot. I believe it's fbi.gov forward slash investigate forward slash cyber. There's a lot of great information there. And any of these terms that we've talked about today, it's very easy to go online and search for more information. But it's important. I, I wanted to get the message out. It's important that we can continue acknowledging the fact that scamming is very real. Hackers are out there. They're trying to get our information. They're trying to get access to everything about us. They're trying to take our money. They're trying to lock us out of our systems. It's going. It's ongoing every day, all the time. They're trying to scam the, the aging population out of their money in any which way they can. And it is on us to do as best we can to mitigate that before it happens to us. So with that, I'm going to end this episode. I hope you've gotten a lot out of that. You know, any of these podcasts we've done, this is, I think, 47 now. We put this out there for informational purposes only. We hope you know that. It's up to you to decide what you want to do, what you should do for yourself and your loved ones. But we hope you listen and get something out of this. And we hope that if you take at least one bit of information away, that's a, that's a win for us. And if you find this information uh, helpful across the course of our podcast, please be f- sure to share it with your friends and family. We would greatly appreciate it. And we look forward to having you back listening to us the next time. Thanks so much for tuning in.